The Production Expert Podcast is brought to you with the kind support of Autoria, Source Elements, and RSPE Audio Solutions. Welcome to the Production Expert Podcast. I'm Julian Rogers, and in this week's edition, I'm joined by James Richmond and Russ Hughes. We're going to be discussing the audio interfaces which changed the world. A little bit of a dramatic title. That was taken from a post on the blog, which uh, had a slightly tongue-in-cheek title. Um, but Clickbait, um, clickbait. Well, you know, um, but it was very popular. <laughs> and um, and we thought there was more to say, so we thought we'd, uh, we'd uh, talk about it some more on the podcast. If you haven't seen it, um, it was uh, a list of, uh, I think, six ended up on, on there of uh, audio interfaces that I thought, in my opinion, uh, were really significant in that they changed something uh, wider than just it just being kind of like, here's a new box that does roughly what the old box did, but it's a, it's a new version. So um, very quickly recapping what was on that. If you haven't seen it, it had things like the Sound Blaster Live, which was my first audio interface of any that qualifies for something like that. We thought the Digi001 had to be on there because it was the beginning of so many people's stories, particularly Pro Tools users. So many people came to Pro Tools via that route. We thought the Mbox, the original Mbox, had to be on there as well. There's loads of firsts in that. Um, I believe it was the first bus-powered USB audio interface. It, it was, was yeah, it was. I checked that after we had that discussion. It was yeah, the yeah. first USB-powered, phantom-powered so it was the first bus power that also provided phantom power. That's the important part of this. Yeah. She could use condensers on the road. And so many people, I mean, also it was cheaper than 001. So it was it was at the time the lowest point of entry into Pro Tools. Um, and there were some other things in there as well, which, uh, I mean, just go go and check it out. It, it, it could have turned into basically a bit of a kind of we loved digital design back in the day fest. But um, there are more stories out there. So um, I, th- I think we should probably start with our kind of interface histories. I'll, I'll, I'll come straight to you, James. Um Come on, give, give us a bit of a list and just and, and highlight points of interest along the way. Just uh, go right, yeah. So, so I started off working with an eight bus console. It was not a very good one. It was a Behringer MX eight thousand. Why am I talking with a, about a console? Well, because I had an audio uh, an AudioWork eight from eMagic, which was essentially two in and eight out. Mm. Yeah, I remember so, that. So yeah, so so and it was unbalanced and it was and it was half duplex. So meaning you could either record or, or, or listen back, but you couldn't do both, yeah. which is why you had to use an 8-bus console. From that, I, I briefly had an M-Audio audio file 2496, but then quickly graduated to a multiface. And that's when I dropped the console for the, the first time. Yeah, that's um, the RME and that multiface. Was, and, the, and the multiface, the first one, was amazing. It was Firewire, and, it, and you had uh, Total Mix, which was my first exposure to Total Mix, which, you know, you could create submixes virtually in the computer. Oh, my God, what an amazing thing. I don't need <laughs> this console anymore, which is a huge comb filter in my studio. Um, then, went in, then went down the, the Pro Tools HD route and had an HD1. Uh, then when um, HDX came out, I dropped... Uh, Pro Tools for a bit, and went with a, initially an Apogee Rosetta 800 and then graduated to a Symphony 1. And then I came back to uh, Pro Tools and HDX via uh, a Focusrite Red 8 Pre, um, which was quickly replaced by Focusrite, I might add, um, with a Red 16 line um, uh, for safety reasons, actually. Uh, there, was a, there was a problem with the first Red 8 Pre. Uh, and then I've been using, um, you know, Focusrite, uh, Red 16 line for quite a while, mm. then added a matrix and and largely s- s- went over to the to the, to the Avid matrix. I've still got the Red 16 line and I've got an Apollo X8, 
and I've got several instances of uh, Dante Virtual Sound Card running on mm. different computers. So yours, so if there's a theme yeah. here, it's that your I/O needs have grown like a lot. Over oh time. yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I started out with with a two in two out, and then went to well, basically eight in eight out, then went to sixteen in sixteen out. Then when I got the red sixteen line, it was sixty four ins and sixty four outs. And 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 the the pro the reason I went away from the red sixteen line was. I needed more than 32 channels of Dante because of how this studio is configured. Um, and that's why I had to go to the Avid Matrix. So, so actually, the, the other thing I hadn't mentioned, the Avid Matrix is connected to an HDX card and it's also connected to a RedNet PCIe R card. And that does 128 channels in and out simultaneously of native audio, which is absolutely brilliant mm. so and, i think therein lies yeah. a story yeah. of um, yeah. Uh, yeah. kind of uh, yeah, if yeah. you can More then stuff. you will <laughs> never never sell anything and and you know way too much gear so yeah i like i like to have everything live so yeah. i don't have to be messing around with patch bays uh, if i can mm. so so that's where i've gone with it yeah excellent fantastic okay we should uh, same question to russ really your your interface history well strangely enough looking at this list i virtually had this list at some point so I started with a blaster, then I had an 001 for the reason I remember going to a pro studio and being shown Pro Tools for the first time and came out of that building and thought, what's the easiest way for me to get Pro Tools because I've got to get it? And it was a DigiDesign 001. Uh, then I bought an Mbox because laptops were coming along. I've had an Apollo. I've, I've got a Scarlet uh, that I used to use for going on video shoots because it was the easiest and cheapest way to get a couple of balanced mics into a uh, recorded when you're on a video shoot without having to mess around with really expensive cameras and stuff. Mm. Never had an RME in my life, despite everybody saying how fantastic they are. I've never had a baby face either, apart from when I was about three years of age and mum used to feed me lots of food. <laughs> uh, I've got an Evo 16 now. I've also got an I ID 14. But my journey, my real journey was... Uh, Live, uh, Sound Blaster Live, I was saying to Julian, you get all kind of googly and nostalgic when you start having these conversations because I remember the, the blue box with the Creative Labs legend across it. And I remember that first coming out when I had a PC, thinking, wow, real sound, recording on a PC. It was like magic. Because mm. up until then, we'd all been using Porter Studios or multi or other things like that. So I went, when, it was, when we got into the door world, because I also had ADATs at some point, I also had Porter Studios and stuff and tape machines. I went uh, Sound Blaster, 001, got an Mbox to go with it, Digio 2, amazing product. We had an argument, me and Julian, about including the Digio 2, but he felt it was going to be a bit too avid heavy. But the Digio 2, I think, was a groundbreaking product. Moving faders, uh, mixer, you could use the mixer live, standalone, uh, and it was a great product. And it came bundled with a ton of stuff. I think it was called the Ignite Bundle at the time. The Ignition Pack, uh, I think it was ignition called. Ignition Pack. It came that with all those the, the brightly coloured cards. Yeah. And do you remember when you used to have to put those those codes in for your plugins? I had to like, do that across entire labs full of Macs. Yeah, cubs, poor, snack, monkey. Days of work. I mean, yeah. Just oh, yeah. Like, do it to one like, computer, it's bad. Do it to like 60. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think somebody used to get coked off their tits and then come up with those codes for those cards because they were just so funny. Uh, then I had, what did I do after that? Then I had an Omni. Uh, that was a great interface that was avid's first attempt at a low-cost pro interface and it was a really great product apart from i retrofitted the fan on it because the fans were like concord it was like to 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 refix the fan in an omni cost me uh i think 
£2.81 for the fan and five minutes of work. It's like, why did you skimp Avid? For a couple of pounds, yeah, you it's crazy. It right it's it's not just Avid that do that. Uh, you know, there's a there's a bunch of products that I've I've done done that with here. The, the last one was the Axe three. The stock fan on that was it's, it's just like a jet taking off. Yeah, exactly. So I then had uh, a Digi. So I then went to an Apogee Ensemble Thunderbolt. Great product, lovely. Uh, I've had an Apollo. I've got an Apollo twin on my desk. I've still got the 2i2. I've got an Audient ID 14. I've got an Evo 16. Uh, and I've got an 11 rack as well. Uh, so I think that's it. So quite a quite few a of lot. those are still around by the sounds of it. Yeah, I, got th- I could see four of them straight away yeah. just looking across my desk. Because the twin I use sometimes if you want to track through the Universal Audio plug-in. Uh, the Evo, because it's just fab. I borrowed it for something and I thought this is just a great product. And I got rid of my Thunderbolt for it because strangely enough, I've gone in the opposite trajectory to James. My input needs have gone down rather than up. Mm. So I'm I'm mixing 99% of the time. So I don't need lots of inputs. Uh, and so you're mixing completely in the box. You're not using outboard. No, I did that and kind of got bored and sold it all again. <laughs> right, right. See, I'm still doing that. Uh, I think that's mm. probably why my IO needs are, have not gone down it, it is funny how age, much of this stuff sticks an, around though it might mm. be an age thing but i've kind of got fed up of complexity i just want to get the job done and i can't be arsing around it's like most of the time that's just do deadlines and budgets and stuff like that so oh, oh absolutely and, and, I ta- and i'll take yeah. the line of least resistance so and, and so do i when time is against me um you know i'm doing some mixing at the moment where it's super you know very mission critical to get it done on time I'm not using the outboard for that, but I did track through some of it. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, I, I, I just like having it there. I no, no, I get it. it. Yeah. I get it. I've still got a DBX160 if you want to buy it. Uh, <laughs> original 1970s one, it's beautiful, but yeah. I haven't used it for two years. And I, I kept buying all this rack gear and then thinking I'd use it twice and then never use it again. It was just getting a bit silly. Mm. Julian, what about you then, mate? What's your what's your journey? Well, it, it, there's a lot that's on the list in the article that, that comes from direct experience through me owning it. But I did a quick chronology in mine. Uh, Sound Blaster Live is what I started with beyond, um, you know, uh, um, tape-based things. Um, Dizzy 001 was a big purchase for me just because, you know, I was very specifically chasing, uh, chasing Pro Tools. I wanted Pro Tools, although I'd barely used it. Yeah. I'd used it like twice. But uh, I can remember when I tried to buy it, tried to buy it, phoning up a dealer and having, I mean, almost having an argument with the guy because he was explaining to me that actually what I, I didn't want a 001, I wanted a, a Delta 1010, which was a very similar product, but wasn't Pro Tools specific. That was the M-Audio one, yeah? I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was. Yeah, it was before, it, but they, it was before M-Audio did yeah. an M-powered Pro Tools, wasn't exactly, it? Exactly, yeah, yeah. And, and not having to explain to this guy, no, thank you very much, but I really do want the 001. Um, I, I traded that in for a, a 003 rack some years later. Um, there was, was that the 8 or the 16? It was the, it was, remember they did two. Well, they no, did no, they did a 4 inputs. and an 8, if the, what you mean by it, because one had 8 preamps and one had 4, and I had the 4. I've still got it, okay. and... I just, yeah, I, uh, can you even sell them? I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, um, 
I'm very loath to put it in the bin, but it certainly hasn't been plugged in in years. Um, it's because it's Firewire, isn't it? Well, yeah. That's why. Well, I mean, you can convert. You can, and I, th- I think just I th- not supported by any modern version of Pro Tools. You'd have to roll back to you know, I ten or something like I've that. I've got yeah. a feeling yeah. there was a driver, however long ago. That anyway, yeah, you know. But you know what I mean about something like that. That you know, years ago, you 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 bought and it's. I don't want to take it th- to the That's tip. actually an interesting point. Like, what is the right point to sell something? So I, I sold my HD1 system about a week after the HDX was an, was announced but not released. Mm. And then so sold it very quickly and mm. then watched used prices drop and drop and drop. Mm. There was an initial burst for people saying, oh, well, I don't have the money to go to HDX, so I'm going to go from an HD1 to an HD3 yeah, yeah. Yeah. and try and, you know, try and do it as cheap as possible. Uh, and so there's an initial burst, and and then you know then you can't give them away. So you know, is it the, what's yeah. really what's really ironic about this is the people that sell these things last are the top top studios. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I know lots of top producers and top facilities that are still sitting on old cheese graters running eleven or ten of Pro Tools and yeah. pro, and and pre HDX rigs. Sure, because, they because work. continuity makes. You yeah, know, they work. Is more more important than anything, and yeah. if they're capexed and you know written off over five years, they don't owe the company anything. So that yeah, can that we makes can sense. we can we quickly have a conversation about that? Because I I saw recently, and it's a comment that drives me insane every time I see it. I saw a professional recently say they were angry that Apple were about to release the Silicon Mac Pro because they yeah. bought they bought the original Mac Pro. And now they'd wasted their money. And I said, hang yeah, on a minute. Yeah. The original Mac Pro was 2019. Mm-hmm. We are go- not going to see, I don't think, the shipment. Let's say we, it ships next year. That's 2023. That's four years. In my accounts, that's write down. It's gone. It's yeah, finished. It's yeah. off the books. And I'd also, uh, that's just write down. That doesn't include me having made a lot of money out of using that piece precisely. of gear. I, like I, that describes me precisely. I've got a 2019 Mac Pro here. Yeah. It was 10 grand. It was a very, very expensive system. Plus, then I had to put drives in it. You know, I only, I only specced it up with, with a four terabyte internal, and there's yep. now 30 terabytes of storage in there. Um, and, you know, 256 gig of RAM. So, so total cost is, I don't know, 13, 14 grand, something like that. Oh, but if and, you, but and, if you, but, and, it, but if it's in your account, you're writing it down every year by twenty five percent. Exactly, and and this is the thing. I when when the new um, Mac Pro comes out, I'm probably not going to be in a rush to get it because no. this one works fine. Yeah, I did it's not rec- going to stop working the minute they ship it. That's the other thing. So I do. I did uh, in the last two weeks purchase a Mac Studio, the base model, the thirty two yep. gig, with, with, because I I needed it for another um and, and for another room and. I didn't want to keep using my laptop, and yep. it has probably comparable performance to this absolute beast of a machine. Oh, yep. okay. Well, have I? Did I waste my fourteen thousand pounds? No, nope. because I've had it for three years, and there are things that the Mac Pro can, can do that the Mac Studio can't do. Can't put a HDX card in it. I've got a, um, a an expansion chassis here that I'm that I'm testing. Can't say who for, um, and. 
it's and it's fine. It's great to to have, but but fundamentally, having a, a tower with everything in it, with great cooling and virtually no noise, is not the same as having a Mac Studio and then a Thunderbolt cable and an expansion chassis and then all of the compromises no. that come with that no. and noise and 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 all that. It's you know. No, it's just just as I say, I just get really irritated when people yeah. see a new product come out. Let's say that Avid release a new hard, hardware interface and they go, "Oh, I wasted my money three years ago if, if I'd have if, known this yeah. was coming." It's like if I was Mystic Mystic Meg, and I think. Don't be a dick. It's like, for yeah. example, let me say when I had a trash can, and you remember trash can got a bad press. Everybody said it's a terrible machine. It's not pro. Well, this pro, me, had a trash can. I think I spent nine grand on it, mm. loading it, and it made me over three hundred thousand pounds in the lifetime of its life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't. It's not that I don't understand why people make those. Uh, those well, it's comments. an emotional thing. It's, it's not an rational. emotional thing, and and if they had their way, we'd still be recording on you know Commodore sixty fours and Amigas. Yeah. Sorry, but we yeah, we, yeah. we hijacked Julian because we hijacked Julian's. Where were you on your list, Julian? Sorry, mate. Uh, that's all right. Um, uh, where was I going? Oh, the, the, something else that was interesting was uh, I remember back in the day I bought an Mbox Micro. Do you remember the little? Yeah, the little kit, the yeah. little fob. Oh, yeah, I had one of those too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Positively yeah. You dangerous. Pair, you could plug a pair of headphones. Because, because you could, I could never remember which way was up and which way was down on the volume thumb wheel. And yeah. that thing went really loud. But, um, yeah, anyway. It was, so it was pre, it was before Pro Tools. It was before Pro Tools would work, 9. Would work without hardware. Exactly. And it was yeah, the only yeah. way you could have mobile Pro Tools. Didn't use it as much as I expected to, actually. But uh, there we go. No. Um, still got one of those. I wouldn't expect to be able to sell it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but, so, so one thing I use a lot is just the internal Mac laptop audio card. Me too. And it's, and yeah, it's not it's great. great performance. But when I'm doing little edits, like edit jobs on the sofa, you know, with my wife, um, so I'm not locked in the studio all the time. It, it works great. A little mm. set of headphones or even just using the Mac Audio, the 14-inch MacBook Pro. It's the funny, sound is so good. It's funny you oh, say I forgot, that. I forgot to say that, sorry, just to interject, because there's one I've missed, but it's kind of a bit weird, but it's not, is that the key control is an audio interface yeah. and it's the best sounding audio interface I've got in the room. We took one to Abbey Road when they tested the speakers versus what they had in their room. And first we put it through the Abbey Road system, then we flipped across to the key control, flipping out the difference in the sound was incredible. Because there's fewer, and can, and fewer conversion stages. Ages, it's yeah, it's and, it's goes to three, eight, it, yeah. and it goes to three hundred and eighty-four. Yeah, sample clocking simplified it. Yeah, I've, yeah again, you yeah. know, I've got I've got key three. You've got one and, as well. Yeah, and, yeah, and they're great. Uh, so the, the key the, control's great. Yeah, it's great. So the other one, one I use sometimes is the M. Uh, no, sorry, the M nine hundred five from Grace Audio, which is my monitor controller. Oh, that's a nice piece of kit. That's yeah. built like a sh brick shit house oh, as well, isn't it, it? And it sounds fantastic. Clocking's great. It chases any digital signal. Like the, the, the slightly frustrating thing about Dante is if I change the sample rate in Pro Tools or Logic, it isn't always reflected in all of the gear on, on, the, on the Dante network. The great thing about the Grace is it doesn't matter what's being fed into it. If it's an analog or digital signal, it will instantly flip to whatever sample rate, no problem. And um, yeah, so, so I enjoy that a lot. Achoria has a wide selection of software effects, including three compressors, three filters, three preamps, and three delays you'll actually use. The latest release, three delays you'll actually use, includes Delay Tape 201, Delay Memory Brigade, and the unique and experimental Delay Eternity. A bundle of selected effects, called the AudioFuse Creative Suite, is included with all AudioFuse audio interfaces. Visit achoria.com to find out more on the effects you'll actually use. 
It's funny you mention uh, built-in audio hardware in Macs, just because I ummed and ahed when I was doing the list for the article about whether or not I could include core audio. And it was like, well, does it? Re- it doesn't really qualify as an audio it's a interface protocol, rather than a. But than a I really no, wanted to find a way to shoehorn it. it in because that really you would have had to get in the sea if you'd have done well, that. Well, that <laughs> had, to, had to change. But you see the point I'm making about if we're talking about you know um, stuff related to the audio interface or the way that you listen to the audio from your computer, mm. I'd say core audio changed changed things a lot. You know, it's, it definitely qualifies. Um, yeah. After that, I mean, yes, I mean some some other some other stuff. I, I have an Apollo Twin. Uh, uh, my daily drivers are folks right Red Four Pre, just because um, yeah, it just works really well. And I also have a Pro Tools Carbon, which is great. Um, and I'd use every day if it had if it had loopback. Um, this is something I used to see myself as a bit of an outlier for putting so much priority onto loopback because of doing screen cap or something like that. But I think these days, posts, you know, since 2020 and the way that the world has changed, I think loopback's um, kind of uh, a, a priority for anybody. Um, just I really simple. No, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and unfortunately, carbon doesn't do it. So uh, and and that's a real yeah. shame because otherwise, to be honest, that would be my daily driver if it weren't for that. And I'd probably be uh, uh, getting rid of the Red Four Pre, not because there's anything it, wrong with it. Yeah. It's a great interface, but yeah, the carbon I, I, does some stuff. It's one cool. of the reasons why I use the Apollo X Eight. Um, you know, quite a lot. Uh, also, the sample rate issue. I can keep the matrix at forty-eight kilohertz, and then the Apollo switches if if I need to. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd, oh, and uh, um, this this isn't on on uh, on my you know uh, my interface history list, but it was on the list for the article. I included trying to. I think I was trying to be a little bit controversial, but I thought it was absolutely uh, justified. I included the Blue Yeti, which some people did push back on, and I understand why. Um, but I thought it absolutely ticked the boxes just because... Oh, it definitely ticked the boxes. Yeah, it, I mean, it, 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 it is choice. technically a, a, an audio interface, but just the fact that you had people who really, really needed to up their game in terms of audio quality, the, the sort of early YouTubers, and that was the thing that... that yeah, YouTubers it. and podcasters. Yeah. Mm. Um, definitely. But Good yeah, stuff. as I said in, in a comment somewhere, I, I said I did hold my nose while writing it, but you know... <laughs> The interesting one there that, that we haven't really talked about is the Evo 16 and its auto-gain um, yep. functions. That I, I've not used any of those products. I'm, I'm interested in them, but not so interested because I, I guess I've been doing this long enough, gain staging isn't a problem. Um, but, I, but I also understand the argument, well, you know, you don't need to keep implementing skills if, if the technology can do it for you. You know, I don't take my clothes down to a... Uh, to a river and beat them against the rocks simply because yeah, I don't yeah, know I'm how to sure. Do that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm, when was I'm not when was the last time? Yeah. yeah, when was the last time you used an A to Z? Yeah, precisely, precisely. But whether or not the 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 feature set of that those products would cover all my other needs, that would be the issue. I tell you where it really shines: the Evo 16, and and Luke's about to do it for us. You're going to a live gig, and the band's asked you to record them. Yeah, you turn up, you get the splits, you plug them into the Evo. The whole band carries on playing, and the Evo does all the tr- does all the gain staging for you. Yeah, 
I do have a that's, product that's that does clever. that sort of thing, but it's in the Eurorack world. It's a, it's a life sampler called Morphogene. And it's it, essentially you just plug whatever you want, Eurorack level, which is 10 volts peak to peak or balanced or unbalanced audio, anything that you can get onto an eighth inch um, uh, connector and it will automatically level that for you. So for, for live sampling, that's very, very helpful. So I do see the use the use case for some for some situations, whether or not it's going to make its way into, you know, things like the Apollos and the Avid Matrixes and, and even things like Scarlet's will, you know, remains to be seen. See see what the uptake's like. Yeah. So um the the gap for me on the on the list, the the hardware that I wanted to include but um, I felt I had the least direct experience of was the RME stuff. It's a real gap in my experience. I've used RME gear yeah. um, and I've used Total Mix, but just a bit, you know. I mean, I used to look after some systems in a in, in university I worked at, but uh, for various reasons, mm. I didn't spend a whole lot of time on those systems. Um, but yeah, once you, I, it, it certainly sort of uh, like lifted the lid on why it is who, that people who are into RME gear are so into it. Just because from the outside, I was like, well, what's the big deal about this? And you try it and you use it and you go, oh yeah, this really makes sense. It's, it's Particularly great. on PC. The PC drivers are like, like, I don't know how much you guys have used PCs over the years, but it's where I started and then I jumped to Mac. And for, for years and years, there was just nothing stable. Um and and so the the difference between recording on a Mac or recording on a PC was night and day, and RME filled that gap, and that's why they were so, so successful. I think because can because I say the, the drivers were so great? Something controversial hmm. probably get shot down for this. That it seems in some cases that it's not the best technology that sometimes wins these races, but the best marketing. Because if you think of products like Metric Halo and Motu, they but Metric Halo in particular. I know Steve. Uh, Demot, is it Steve Demot? Yeah, yes, it is. He 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 swears by them. And they've Daniel, done this yeah. board. They've done this board swap technology, so you could have a ten-year-old product, and you just get a board swapped in it, and it's and it's a modern product again. Uh, but they don't get the same kind of airspace as things like uh, Focusrite and uh, Universal Audio, and yet they're stunning products. Mm. And again, RME. Uh, you, you speak to any RME owner. And they swear blind by them, don't they? Absolutely. No, they've all them. stopped looking fact, around because they, they, yeah, they're, they're they not going anywhere. Adore. Yeah, they just And if you look at things like Total Mix, it's a really powerful system. So in some ways, you see things like products coming out and say, hey, this has got like uh, effects when you can track. Well, some of the others have got that and they, have, and they had it five years previously. Uh, so is it I marketing or is it total, the total package? It's also investment. It's also the ability to produce in quantity and, uh, you know, the just in time manufacturing approaches. It's probably a yeah. lot of things, but what I'm saying is that, that, that being the most popular does, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the technically mm. the best product. Mm. It's, uh, no, I, I agree. I Metric agree. Halo are a great example just because they're very much still that kind of like small quality, uh, company. Um, and, I don't know if I don't know if they can scale, but certainly, I mean, if they became hugely popular um, uh, overnight, they'd they'd probably find it difficult to meet the demand, given their current. You know, they they don't strike me as a company who are looking to expand aggressively, put it that way. Mm. Um, and of course, when you make a, but when you want to, if you want to be popular, there's a there's a the line I have with all my clients on the marketing agency that we run is that price is a message. That means that 
when you set the price for something, you're telling, you're almost defining your customer base by the price. So, for example, Ferrari are never going to make a twenty thousand pound car because they've, they're defining their customer base by being a luxury brand. And so, some of these brands, like DAD, for example, that's a good example, uh, are never going to make cheap interfaces. They don't want to make cheap interfaces. They're trying to make the best interfaces. Hmm. So. Uh, I think there are that what, but there are companies that do that. For instance, SSL have changed their approach over the years. They've gone from making enormously expensive consoles that cost as much as a house to now making little audio interfaces that cost a couple of hundred bucks. Made in China. Yeah, but I, I think I think that was more to do with uh, investment capital sure, and sure. Uh, and also how many big consoles could you sell these days? Exactly. Still keep, yeah, still, no, still the, the, so, so, so some companies need to diversify in order to survive. But if we just stay in the middle ground, mm. uh, like the kind of what we're talking about, let's take the sub £2,000 market. Uh, there's lots, as I say, there's lots of products out there that are really good, but don't get the attention they deserve uh, because because they just don't either have the marketing now or the marketing spend or both. In fact, I'm writing an article right now about why it's good to support small brands because often they won't have the fire, the, the marketing and PR firepower, but you'll often get a better product and a better service from them. Oh, ab- absolutely. And, you know, that, not just in audio interfaces, that's also happening, um, you know, at, at every level, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, Microphones, yeah. plugins, the lot. Yeah, 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 exactly. The Production Expert Podcast is made possible using Source Connect Now from Source Elements, the free way to record high-quality audio over the internet. Need to record an interview or a podcast like this one remotely? With Source Connect Now, you can. Using a Chrome browser, you'll get ISDN equivalent quality audio without the need to install any additional software. Register for your free account at now.source-elements.com. I don't know about you, James or Julian. Do you ever look at an interface and suddenly realize how long you've actually owned it for? When I came to sell my ensemble, I thought, oh, I've had that for a couple of three years or something. It was seven years I'd owned it for. And it had like had been a really trusty friend for seven years. And it's amazing how much this gear we get in the get in the studio and we, and suddenly half a decade passes on you. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and it's do you know what I mean? There's what what like is that, the like. interface you've owned the longest that you still that you still have? Probably the ensemble was the one that I owned the longest. But you've, was, you've, yeah. you've you've still got that or you don't? No, I've, oh, sorry, I've sold that. So what, that what one is currently years. in the studio that, that you've had the longest? The Apollo. Right, right. Hmm. Yeah. I think so it's the, the same the, for the, me, actually. I've got an Apollo twin. Yeah, the Apollo. Since, I don't know, 2016, possibly? Right. But I'm less likely. I'm less likely to. Well, I'm less likely. Well, I'm less likely to turn it on for mixing now. I'd only use it now for tracking because I've already got. I've got. I've, I've got a UAD card in a rack anyway. In a, in, a, in an expansion chassis, so uh, and I'm not massively into the whole tracking through plugins thing anyway, so it doesn't really bother me. So and, and now we've got native plugins. Yeah, for, for me, Audio. I've still got the Apogee Rosetta that I bought in 2008, I think, but I'm not using it as a. It's got a Firewire card in it. I haven't used that p- component of it for a very long time. Mm. It's a. Um, Analog to AES converter, yeah. Oh, it was a converter. I thought it was a damn good clock. No, no, that's uh, no, that, uh, I forgot what the that name of the clock ben. was. Yeah, Big Ben. That's big right. Ben. No, no, yeah, Ros- yeah, Rosetta yeah. is essentially um, eight in, eight out analog, and it and it can can send over AES or over Firewire. So it could be an interface, or it could just be a set of converters. Which you know that I I quite like. If we want to talk about connectivity, part of the problem 
that I that I have with some products is there's only one way to connect, and when that way of connecting stops being a thing, like Firewire, well then You're you've right. got a doorstop. Yeah, like like we talked about with uh, Digio twos and yeah. Digio threes, yeah. they're dead now, and 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 lots of those things. So it, that that does make a really strong argument for USB, doesn't it? Yeah, it 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 does. Um, it depends on your channel count and how low the latency can get. And you know that. Well, our, that's, that's where our, I, but, you, yeah, but that's where RME argue again because RME say they they are getting because they've apparently the biggest thing that RME are brilliant at is drivers. That's yes. what they are good at, and they've proved that with a good driver you can get fantastic performance over USB. You can, but there is still a. I guess there is still a limit to to, to yeah. how how many. And if and for those people that are really high, you know, sixty four channels and above, that will always be the limitation. That that's I guess why I've gone down the the audio over over IP route, and you know how how these modular. Uh, units all fit together on a network uh, because it, it's not infinitely expandable, but in practical terms, it, the channel count exceeds anything that I could ever use. It's an interesting point about the connectivity because, I mean, if we look at why is it we get rid of interfaces, um, I got rid of my 001 because uh, there were issues with uh, changing PCI voltage and I had a new PC with a new motherboard and I couldn't use it anymore. And an alternative existed, but... The you know I'd I'd sat the whole way through the release of 002 and all of that and, and not considered moving, but it was finally when when that change was forced upon me by you know same goes for um, Firewire disappearing off Max of course now I mean probably the reason that you held on to your ensemble as, as long as you did Russ is because you got in early on Thunderbolt and yeah, Thunderbolt was, was around adopter. for a long time and still is around. That's where, there's a, that's where there's a good argument for being an early adopter. If you're an early adopter, you get the longest run at any protocol, generally, unless the, nobody ditches a protocol after a couple of years because they've invested a decade in it before they even release it, mm. let's say, mm. let's say Apple so, or that. So uh, I, yeah, I, I've generally been an early adopter. That's just by, yeah. just by my wiring. So it's strange to, 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 to mix analogies mm. there. But, uh, yeah, so I think that's why. And, again, the Apollo twin I've got is a – is a firewire, an old firewire. Sorry, it's an old Thunderbolt 2 device, isn't it? It couldn't even be Thunderbolt 1. Well, it's an interesting point just because, I mean, uh, I remember talking to Avid when they were releasing the Carbon and lots of people were surprised that it, it shipped with AVB. And, yeah, um, yeah. And uh, there were there were a few reasons for that, but a big one was that um, it wasn't... Uh, they thought, well... Uh, the thing that limits the the life of a piece of hardware is this data connection, and, and the last physical connector that's going to disappear off Apple computers <laughs> is going to be an Ethernet port. That will be around longer than anything else in, in some form because it's an Ethernet port. It's not, you know. Um, and uh, and of course, the, uh, yeah, they could have gone with they could have gone with Dante. I'm sure they could have gone with any number of uh, AOIP um, yeah. solutions. Yeah. But the thing about AVB is that it is a proper recognized standard it's not a proprietary protocol it's a standard so because and, and of that it's, and, and therefore it's it's free there's no licensing to uh, it is uh, but yeah. and, and also and also it's it's if you're gonna if you're gonna bet on something sticking around then something that's that's you know i triple whatever you know is, is going to be is going to be around um independent of any company that owns that technology do you see what i mean i mean i'm, I'm not exactly, expecting ordinate yeah. to go under anytime soon but you know what i mean it could happen but uh <laughs> Um, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting Here, one of, like, you know. Can I ask a question based on protocol? Because we're talking about longevity of protocols. 
I've seen somebody, some people talking about this recently. Has ADAT had its day? So it was really interesting when DAD's new Thundercore products came out with ADAT IO on them because they dropped um, AES from the from the DAD uh, AX32 and the well, effectively the Matrix. Um, the AES IO is not on there, but they do have ADAT. And I guess, again, that comes down to price and panel space. But personally, I, I really dislike it. Um, I, 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 for some reason, I've had more problems with ADAT IO uh, in terms of clocking and just, you know, cables going bad um, than anything or else. Or just dropping out. Just drop, you know yeah, your cable dropping just out drops and, out the back. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So p- personally, I would love to see the back of ADAT ports on interfaces. Uh, I, I I wonder, actually it'd be a really interesting thing to ask someone like Universal Audio or Focusrite, I wonder how many people actually use it. I've had a conversation with um, with uh, Focusrite about ADAT. I'm not asking them that specific question. I mean, mm. I kind of, I, I'm, I'm not quoting them because I'm, you know, I'm just coming away with the impression I had after the conversation, but I kind of get it in that it's a, it's a very, it's a very, it's a simple, um, a very common uh, and uh, sort of a inexpensive way to add a load of uh, add a load of extra connectivity to uh, to a um, mm. to to an interface. It's uh, it's been around for a long time. It works, and uh, but, and but people... it doesn't feel pro to me. Like it doesn't feel yeah, like a solid that, uh, solution compared to AES. Or if you if you just want to point audio, yeah. is that the point though, James? Is that the point? No, no, I, get, point I about, get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. perhaps it is. It because if you if you're buying let's say a two hundred dollar interface and it's and it gives you some expandability via ADAT because I remember buying the uh, Behringer made a eight mic input via ADAT and I was plugging that into I think the back of my Digio 2 I think it was that gave me me more things like that so yeah, and I, I did have a... Yeah, was it, that was it, the ADA 8000, that's exactly Yeah, I had one of those yeah. on actually on my HD. On, I had a 96IO interface on, on my first HD rig, and that gave me 16 ins rather than um, an extra 8 ins, whatever, whatever it was, yeah. The, the problem for pros is that you, you, you have to start muxing quite quickly so that you lose your channel count fast. Mm. So if, if, you, if, you w, if you double your, your sample rate, then you're, you're down to half as many. Uh, and if yeah, you started yeah. with eight, you've got four. And if you want to go at one, nine, two, then you're down to two. And, the other and that problem, does happen, happen with Dante as well <clears throat> for in a, on a lot of products. The other problem is, that is of course, that um, quite a bit of gear, um, particularly at that kind of lower level of, of stuff, doesn't have word clock connections and it forces some clocking decisions that you might it, not choose. Exactly, and that, and that's what I mean when I said you know it seems to be more trouble than it's worth, and and when largely I don't use them mm. those ports. So for instance, the Red Sixteen line, the reason I went up from that is it only had thirty two channels of Dante. It had another sixteen channels of uh, ADAT, but rather than use that and have to deal with all the problems, I just replaced it with a matrix. Now you know that might seem like an, an extreme uh, solution to a problem, but you know it's it's what I did. Um, I would always rather, you know, try and do it without using ADAT rather than with. Mm. Um, there's, yeah. a, there's a couple of things that I, I realise that sort of time's, time's marching on and there's a couple of things I want to touch on before we, before we move on. Um, uh, the importance of I.O., uh, I.O. count, and the importance of, uh, of preamp gain. Um, I would say that these days preamp gain is probably more important to more people than uh, the total number, the total amount of I.O. that you've got. What do you mean by preamp gain? Uh, the amount of gain that's available in your, in your microphone preamps. Um, and I would suggest that for a, lo- a lot of people, 
I suppose a lot of people take it take it as take it as uh, totally you know just a given thing that it, with some microphones you you have to you have to buy like a cloud lift or an inline um, gain device to pair it with interfaces. I've never been that school of thought, but. Certainly years ago, go back to 10, 15 years ago, um, if someone was planning on buying an interface, the first question I'd ask them is, uh, is how many things do you want to record simultaneously? I'd say that that's less important than it used to be because of the modularity that's happening. Particularly, uh, we've got um, lots and lots of choices in Dante. So you can buy, you can just buy an interface, and if you need more I.O., you just hang some more off it and you can just keep going. The idea of having... Mm. The M-Audio 2626, the profile, is, is something that didn't make the list potentially should have done actually it was an interesting one because uh it was a 1u uh 8 mic pre uh low cost preamp that you could use with pro tools empowered there was some kind of mistake made along the way that kind of meant that you could access more simultaneously great. they they basically they basically wrote the wrong driver and then it made, meant you could actually have a bit higher track count that you could have on hd yeah. it was brilliant and quite a few people and were, then they sh- well certainly in le not in hd but yeah. uh, in, in le and yeah i remember that being a very live issue at the time but the thing is it was so important to people at the time because loads of people were buying these systems and they wanted to go out and they wanted to track bands and they wanted to get you know 16 simultaneously simultaneous inputs they weren't so bothered about outputs but inputs definitely um you've said already russ that's not really a priority for you these days your io now nah. um, demands have dropped james you're on the opposite side yours have grown and yeah, exponentially a, as far as i can see use case yeah it's a bit silly now I, I need to calm down but um yeah and i think for mo- for most people they're probably happy with either something that has, does two in two out in most cases or they're looking to track Live drums. Mm. Um, I think the number of people needing to record simultaneously 32 channels of audio or above is pretty low these days. Mm. That's very few people are doing, you know, 16 channels on drums and three mics on a, on each guitar amp and you know l- l- loads of uh, other instruments. That that's just very very uncommon. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it makes sense where you know there are effectively two stratas: the the entry level sort of folks write um, scarlets and and uh, and such, and then you're going up to the rack mount um, universal audios and focus rights and audience mm. that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, and I mean, certainly when I bought my uh, my Red Four Pre, um, I was fully expecting to be hanging all sorts of Dante gear off of that and a lot of the reason why i wanted my red 4 pre was because because of rednet and dante Mm. and um it's funny how things go because that just didn't happen well time's got away from us we should move to find of the week rspe audio solutions design sell and install professional audio and video equipment their team are available by phone live chat or email to receive and process orders they have everything you need to build or upgrade your home studio to ensure you can continue to work from home. If there is anything they can do to help, reach out or shop online at rspeaudio.com. Russ, what's your find of the week? Uh, Mine has parental advisory on it. Uh, I got into The Boys on Amazon Prime, which is, I don't know if any of you have watched this, this is a, a TV show that's about basically superheroes that have gone bad uh, that do all sorts of get up to all sorts of bad stuff, uh, and there's a, a a gang called the boys that are trying to bring them to justice, and it's just incredibly funny, incredibly violent, incredibly irreverent. Uh, it's one of the only American shows I've ever seen that drops the C bomb regularly, 
Uh, it's brilliant. It's absolutely hilarious. And it's actually one of the main protagonists is based on Trump as well. He's a, he's a superhero called Homelander. <laughs> so uh, it's it's a brilliant show. Uh, my wife stopped watching it because it was too violent because people get chopped in half and stuff like that. But uh, if you need to just escape, that's the show to watch. Excellent. Bit of cathartic release or something. Okay, great. Yeah. James, what about yeah. you? Uh, for me, it's the Cable Guys Shaper Box Bundle. Um, anyone who does lots of side chaining, um, you know, particularly in dance music to, to, um, to let the kick drum kick through, uh, this, th- this plug-in bundle is amazing because you can effectively use uh, a volume shaper to create envelopes. And then it's a much more precise tool for doing side chains. Uh, really fantastic. It was uh, referred to me by a friend of mine um, who said, you've got to check this out. And I, and I d- ran the demo for about five minutes. I was like, okay, fine, I'm going to get this. And it's only, I think, 87 euros, something like that. Excellent. Um, well, mine, mine's a, a kind of a fun little thing. It's a Blackstar Ampfly 2. It's a, it's a tiny little um, uh, Ampsim box uh, with a built-in quarter-inch jack that you stick in the uh, output from your electric guitar, stick a pair of headphones in, and it does amp modelling and, uh, uh, and some rudimentary effects uh, just off a couple of AA batteries. And, uh, yeah, it's a very cheap little thing, but it actually sounds surprisingly good. Um, I get some quite nice kind of uh, um, touch sensitivity roll in between tones off the volume pot and all of that stuff. And uh, I think it's, it's, it, 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 it looks much less impressive than it sounds, put it that way. But, yeah, very inexpensive little thing, and uh, I've rather enjoyed it. So, uh, yeah, that, mine is the Blackstar Ampfly. Amp yeah, Ampfly 2, that's what it's called. Um, so yeah anyway that's all we've got time for this week thank you to my guests James and Russ we'll be back next week with another edition of the Production Expert Podcast